Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Alec Wilkinson is an accomplished author and journalist who was bad at math. He says he passed his high school math classes only by cheating. So then why at age 65 did Wilkinson decide to embark on a two-year quest to learn algebra, geometry, and calculus? Subjects he describes as brute, malign, and hostile to innocence and hope. We talked to Wilkinson about trying to learn something later in life because you were bad at it, the humility it requires, and the self-discovery it can bring. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. At age 65, Alec Wilkinson decided he'd try to learn a subject that had left him feeling lost and stupid as a teenager. Math. Specifically, algebra, geometry, and calculus. Wilkinson, a writer for The New Yorker whose previous books include The Ice Balloon and The Protest Singer, says high school math left him abused and aggrieved. He writes about his hopes for learning math again with a half-century's wisdom in a new book called a divine language. And listeners, have you tried to relearn something later in life or to find out why a subject was so hard for you in school? You can tell us about it by emailing forum at kqed.org or posting it on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Welcome to Forum, Alec Wilkinson. Thank you for having me. Uh, glad to have you. I was really struck by, in reading your book, how you describe math in high school the way people often describe a school bully, uh, you write at one point, it had abused me, I felt aggrieved, I was returning with a half century's wisdom to knock the smile off math's face. So what what yes. did it feel like to struggle in math back then? Well, back then, I think I had the experience that I think a lot is common, which is to feel that, that um, and, and, and it's cousin to trying to learn the grammar of a foreign language, but to to feel that you're just in an impenetrable uh, circumstance, it, it, to, to, to feel that you arrived 30 seconds late for the train <laughs> and you watched it leaving the station with everybody just sort of waving to you as you stand, you know, the, the one goes um, for a certain distance into algebra and then either is welcome and or 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 falls to the wayside and um i just found i was found utterly mysterious the idea of moving from arithmetic to algebra that you know in arithmetic the problems are vertical and in algebra they're horizontal and nobody explained to me that algebra was a form of arithmetic and um i i, I discovered that now as, as an adult, but it would have made it all a good deal easier if um, I'd understood it at the time. Yeah. Well, how did you cope? I mean, you obviously graduated oh, high cheated. school. <laughs> you... I, cheated. I just cheated. I, how I, did I, you I cheat? Sat... Well, I, 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 I knew who the bright boys and girls were and I sat, come test day, I sat beside one of them 
And um, I don't know how it is these days, but in my childhood, you the teacher would pass out the the test and um, sit up there at the um, at at his or her desk, or you know, doing grading papers or doing something. I suppose these days he or she would be on the phone, um, going scrolling through Instagram. But um, and I and I simply learned to you know divide my attention between the desk of the person next to me and the teacher's eyes. And um, you know, if I, if I sort of sat closer to the back of the room, this was a little more easily accomplished. The difficult part was reproducing the work because um, it was in my era, I think, that um, what began to be appended to math questions was show your work. So that was a little difficult. And if I picked the wrong person, um, if I picked someone too bright, uh, he or she was moving ahead so quickly that it was actually hard to, well, it was difficult to keep up. Wow. Uh, but that Why? was what I did. I ended up um, plagiarizing a term paper and, and nearly getting caught. And um, as I said in the book, it's a very strange thing to, because at that point I was going to a boys school and I would, of course, been kicked out. And that would have meant that I would have gone somewhere else to school. I would have known different people. I would have had different experiences. And the person who is speaking to you now would not exist hmm. because we're, of course, all of the, you know, the consequence and results of not only who we were born to be and, and become, but the experiences that we have. Yeah. And that's definitely a part, it sounds like, of your quest that was going very back unsettling. to find it. Yeah. <laughs> and also you had some trepidation about sharing the extent that you went to to cheat and to hide the fact that you didn't understand what you were being taught. Why not admit that? Why not go to the teacher well, I, and say you needed help? Well, I think two reasons. I think one is there's a, there's quite an imperative. Adolescence is a period of secret keeping. And I, and, um, I don't think... I, so I didn't confide to anyone how much difficulty I was having. Um, the other children seemed to be having no difficulty at all, except the people that were clearly dunces. And I sort of tried to avoid um, being um, looped in with them. But um, they, uh, I, I also, um, I was embarrassed and, and maybe ashamed. Uh, you know, it's, it's what happens to children when they, they're really... Um, their world is overthrown to a degree. Um, I come from a family of high achievers. Everybody had three brothers, all of whom went to Harvard. Um, it's it, there, you know, it was, I didn't come from a family that would have been sympathetic to the idea of um, my falling behind. And um, in those days, no one hired tutors, um, which is what would happen today. Um, you know, uh, so I just, I guess the, the truth was I was just, you know, ashamed. And um, once it's like becoming, starting to shoplift or something, once you've started, you have a history of it and you, or, or whatever vice one might pick up. So I now had a history of cheating pretty quickly into algebra and everybody, people would say, the obvious question would have been, well, how have you got by so far? You know, so I would have had to explain things I wouldn't really have wished to go into, I yeah. suppose. Well, well, actually, the question that comes up for me, given all of that, is why you decided to take it back up now, knowing that the subject made you feel so many things. Right. Well, um, I had a, uh, uh, let's see, the simplest answer is I thought that not having been able to absorb and comprehend mathematics as a child 
had influenced me deeply and had made, had led to my being the writer that I'd become, had, um, you know, how would I have been broadened? Had I been able to bring to bear the kind of qualities of thought and apprehension and speculation and abstraction that mathematics provokes, would I have written better books? Would I be a more, would I be a happier person? Would I have a broader sense of the world? Would I be able to engage the world in ways that were closed to me because this part of my, I hesitate to call it my intelligence, but my, at least my way of thinking. So, so far as I had the ambition to think and the wish to think was compromised by an entire region of, of neurological capacity that had never been stimulated, never been engaged. And I just really began to think, I, I, I feel like it would be deeply broadening if I, if I could see what, what I might be capable of if I could include this um, uh, talent, this, ca- this capacity, this ability in who I was, if it, if, it, if it became an influence on my way of thinking. Yeah, there was this line. Yeah, it does, where you say I was returning to childhood not to recover something, but to try to do things differently from the way I had done them and see where that led. Yeah, where it led. We're talking with Alec Wilkinson. His new book is A Divine Language, Learning Algebra, Geometry, and Calculus at the Edge of Old Age. And listeners, I want to hear if you struggled with math in school and was that a source of shame or anxiety for you? Or have you tried to learn or relearn math or something else later in life, maybe a language, an instrument, a sport, and what that experience has been like for you, you can call us at 866-733-6786. You can tell us on email, forum at kqed.org, or post your stories or questions for Alec Wilkinson on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. I love that you felt confident I like that a half century's wisdom would make this go round better. <laughs> but you also wrote about how as we get older, learning takes longer. And I was wondering if if you, knowing that ahead of time, if that gave you pause or if that was something that became really clear to you as you, know, you embarked did, on this. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't know that one's capacity for learning is, is different as one gets older, particularly. That came about, I, I became acquainted with that as I began to read about the difficulties of learning. Um, um, but I, you know, I sort of began with the feeling that math is wrong. Um, and, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, I'm here to show everybody that math is wrong and that it's a, it's a thing that we are, that's forced on us when we are children. And because it's forced on us by adults whom we trust, we accept it without really questioning it. But, you know, I'm now I'm 65. I'm going to, I'm going to come back and I know something about the world and I've led a, 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 an interesting life. I've been lucky as a writer and, and, and I'm going to finally just show that, how this is, you know, I, I, my idea originally was sort of that this was going to be a comic exchange between me and my gifted mathematician niece, um, Amy Wilkinson, who's a professor at the University of Chicago and a mathematician of international standing. And there's a book that I'm deeply fond of called A Giacometti Portrait, in which James Lord, um, a wealthy American just after the Second World War has in Paris has persuaded Giacometti to do his portrait. 
And it's a kind of comic dialogue between Giacometti, the great genius, and James Lord, who was a little bit of a, a, a dimwit, but a talented person. And I sort of saw my exchanges with my niece as, as going to be like this, but I was fairly quickly brought into the awareness of the deep, profound mysteries of mathematics, and the, which can even be enjoyed as a tourist. I mean, because the, the simplest one is, is where do numbers come from? Yeah, there's 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 no explanation. Any, I didn't even have to take up mathematics again to, to begin to ponder that. But I became deeply engaged by the mysteries of mathematics. Um, is it created or is it discovered? And if it's discovered, um, who put it there? Why is it there? Does it imply a divinity? And in what sense a divinity? Um, there's it, it, it's there. These are never-ending questions the people who in the in the in the most exalted relationship to these kinds of um questions aren't haven't been able to settle them and it, it, it as i say in the book a lifetime doesn't seem sufficient to the task yeah well we'll get more into those big philosophies and the enigmas of mathematics after the break we're talking with alec wilkinson about his effort to learn high school math later in life and we want to hear listeners about your efforts to learn subjects that were hard later in life after the break again 866-733-6786 the number twitter facebook instagram at kqed forum is where you can find us we'll have more after the break i'm mina kim Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with writer, New Yorker, writer, and author Alec Wilkinson. His previous books include The Ice Balloon, The Protest Singer, and The Happiest Man in the World. His latest book, A Divine Language, is all about learning algebra, geometry, and calculus at the edge of old age, meaning his effort to learn high school math later in life. And you, our listeners, are invited to join the conversation with your comments. Let me go to caller Jay in Redwood City. Hi, Jay. Hi, can you hear me? I can, go right ahead. I, I just want to say thank you very much for writing that book. It's, uh, I myself had a horrible experience in high school, thanks to math. Uh, nobody seemed to get through to me. Uh, starting from middle school, I just there was just nothing that, that no, no methods that they were trying to teach me that I could really pick it up. And I didn't go back to school until I was 32 and without a high school degree. And I went to community college, and then I transferred to a four-year university, and I got my degree. 
And I'm proud to say that I did it without a high school diploma. I absolutely hated high school. And anybody listening that's struggling or has a kid who's struggling in high school, just get them straight to a community college. You don't need a high school diploma. And just get it over with, you know, because it's uh, the system is not for everyone. So, Well, Jay, I'm so glad that that path worked out so well for you. And thanks for the call. Let me go to Casey in Berkeley next. Hi, Casey. Hi. Um, First of all, I'd just like to say that I later became a college teacher. But I started off with a rough beginning. And I went to 12 schools before I got to the seventh grade. And so I was way behind in math. And the teachers in these classes, as I would move from class to class, school to school, state to state, they would just put me in the back of the room and forget about me. But the thing is, I was tested in California when I came out here, and they said I had an IQ of 150. So it wasn't brains. It was just the system. Now, let me just say that I think there's hope for all of us and I'm 82 and I'm about to get the book (laughs) and I'm going to, I am, and I'm going to give it a shot Um, because uh, I think it is a beautiful language, but it's scary and you need help. And maybe this book will open some doors for me. Oh, well, Casey, thanks. Alec, you have any thoughts for Casey or any advice as Casey takes on this journey? I, I, I wish I did. I just, I, I think it's, it, the journey is individual and um, you'll, what you'll find are, are if, if it's for you as it was for me, and I think it will be because it's a common human experience, you will be introduced to and will arrive at thoughts and experiences you didn't expect to have um, because you're dealing with new material. Um, could I also just respond to Jay? Um, yeah. And, and say, um Jay, my own son went to community college without a um, high school degree and then went on to get a bachelor's degree. And I agree with you entirely. I was so deeply impressed by the education he got at the community college. And um, I developed a respect for them um, that I had not had before from being unaware of them. So congratulations to you. That's a good story. Uh, and really quick, this and is your Eric. Too. Yeah, Casey, yours as well. Eric says, I'm listening to your program right now. And the speaker is talking about cheating on a math test as a teacher. I take offense to him assuming that when my students are taking tests, I am scrolling through Instagram. Does he really have that low of an opinion of teachers? No, I I guess you see that that's what I get for trying to make a joke. Um, No, I only mean um, I relied on my teachers being to some degree distracted either because they were grading papers or doing something so that um, I could, um, uh, you know, car- carry out my program. But no, of course, I didn't mean that um, that, that were my apologies. Um, I didn't mean to suggest that. And it'd be clearly wrong to suggest that. Before the break, you were talking about how you decided to engage your rock star math professor niece to be able to teach you or to go with you through this journey of relearning math, why not take a class? Why did you decide you didn't want to take a class, say algebra for adults or something? Well, um, I tried to find one and, you know, they're surprisingly, they're not that easy to find. Um, Very easy to learn English as a second language, if at least in New York city um, or, or very certain things, but um, I, I couldn't actually find one. And I did, I did, 
particularly look for one that had a remedial quality to it, although algebra for adults, I guess, would be. But, but I also thought, you know, the worst outcome here could be that I am once again the dullard in the class. And I don't, and, and this time I'm not going to tolerate if I can manage it being left behind. So what if I were the one that everybody just groaned, made everybody groan by the side of his hand in the air once more, you know, stopping the class and saying, um, I, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Um, so I was a little, I, I thought in the end, I thought, well, I, you know, I have this extraordinary resource. Let me take advantage of that. And um, that, that was how I began. That is not how I ended. Yes. And Amy starts by saying, I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> Right, <laughs> which kind of makes sense, I guess, for someone at her level of mathematics. So, talk a little bit about those first few weeks. You do talk about yeah. how you started to understand the beauties, philosophies, and all of these interesting things about the language of math. But at the very beginning, you were trying to just do word problems, right? That's right. The 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 um, you know, Amy said before we start, um, why don't you go get algebra for dummies? And, and, you know, bring yourself up to speed on a few things. And, and um, I, I started reading it and very quickly it was borne in on me that I don't care who it's for, it's still algebra. And, um, you know, and if you think about it, it's still impossible. It can't be done. Um, I'd already proved that I didn't really see the point in trying to prove it a second time, but I thought, okay, I'll persevere. Um, and when I, I didn't, when I had this, Amy had always been a little bit dubious about the prospect because she knew probably what I didn't know, which is that she had studied algebra as an exceptionally precocious, gifted math child, um, probably at the age of 11. Um, and so I was asking, you know, um, if, if Amy were a tennis player among the women, she'd sort of be ranked in the world very high. And it's like going to somebody like that. There's a, there's a, there's a famous joke where some writer is sitting next to a brain surgeon at dinner and the brain surgeon says, I'm about to retire and I'm thinking of uh, taking up doing some writing. And the writer says, how interesting, I'm about to retire and I'm thinking of, take, of taking up brain surgery. Um, so it was a little um, ridiculous of me to think that I could ask Amy, whose specialty is so abstruse and so complex, you know, can you teach me the rudiments of the, you know, the most basic rudiments of adolescent mathematics? I think it, it was too far away. And I expected, you know, in my mind, the, the place where I really hit the rocks would um, with mathematics was in word problems. I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I, they were difficult for me even as a, as an adult, but um, I thought that's all algebra was really about. And it, that it was the point of algebra. And Amy um, said, you know, they're, uh, the word problems are utterly pointless. They have nothing to do. They appear nowhere else in mathematics. Um, and uh, which was an argument I wish I had been prepared to present to my teachers in the eighth grade, but um, it, 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 I, I, uh, I was determined even against her, with her disapproval to try to, this time, I, I felt if I couldn't understand word problems, I there was no way I could say that I had completed algebra again. And 
go on to geometry. So, but I really hit the shoals there. Yeah. Uh, well, Matthew They're writes, <laughs> Ma yeah, they are. <laughs> Matthew, even the few examples you gave in the book, I was like, oh my God. This is yeah, if your mind is not given to that kind of sense of organization and pattern thinking, it's very difficult. Uh, at least it was for me. Made so me Matthew, feel very stupid. Yeah. So Matthew writes, I'm a former professor and university administrator who went back to massage school last year and just completed my massage therapist certification. It was tough to no longer be the smartest guy in the room, but I found that the humility of beginner's mind among folks half my age was invigorating and rejuvenating. At one point early on, I almost gave up, and my inner, everyone did not want to go through a shiatsu exam. Uh, did your guest ever feel like giving up? How did he push through the call of the hammock in the sense that the challenge wasn't worth the moments of discomfort? How did you push through in those right. moments when you hit the is, shoals? Is the price worth the price or the price yeah. worth the price? Um, well, um, unfortunately, I had sort of, um, I, I sold a book idea. And so I'd received <laughs> money to do this. So I had to persevere. Um, but I am a perseverer. Um, I just one foot in front of the other towards the mountains in the distance. Um, I, all my life, I've sort of had that, I don't know if it's a capacity or a kind of stubborn temperament. Um, um, the, but I think also what Matthew says about humility is so interesting because um, it's one of the unanticipated graces of an engagement with a new field and particularly with mathematics, which is so humbling as one becomes aware of the, the uh, trembling, forceful, towering world, which is completely, and I mean completely imaginary, uh, that is mathematics. And so um, one becomes humbled by what one doesn't no, and, I, and it, it, if I'm hearing Matthew correctly, there is that sense of what I am engaged in is deeper than I realized, and, and it has made me, taught me to pay attention and to persevere, and those are valuable lessons in life, um, I think. Um, yeah, and as you get at the point of how math is this imaginary language, and you talk a lot about how it's so representational, uh, it gets back to your point earlier about the philosophies and enigmas that uh, that are such a big part of math. Can you talk about how finding these sort of pleasures helped you along that journey? Like what you learned about prime numbers, for example, or you mentioned Platonism earlier as well. Right. Well, um, Platonism is the sort of... Um, catch-all term, uh, the umbrella term under which the discussion of is math created or discovered um, take place. Um, and that's about, for me, as interesting a, a discussion as it's possible to have because mathematics exists. Nobody, is, nobody has ever tried to, um, that I'm aware of. I'm sure there are very abstruse and arcane disciplines that engage with the idea that mathematics doesn't exist. And, and despite and my thinking that mathematics was wrong. Um, but uh, the, the idea that um, there is this adjacent reality to our own, there's, there's a, I quote a mathematician named Jan, John Conway in the book who says, you know, it's, it's the strangest thing 
um, mathematical objects are are entirely imaginary. It's it, it, they they exist if you write them down on a piece of paper, but otherwise they are you can't one can't say it can't be said where they reside. And the mathematician John Conway says. After being a mathematician all my life, I still can't get used to it. How can things be there without actually being there? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, it it mathematics introduces one to such fascinating conundrums that are entirely human. They're not. Um, I didn't need any abstruse learning, as I say. The the first mystery of the waiting like a. a, a a little welcoming party in the vestibule of mathematics is where do numbers come from? It's a question that cannot be answered, not by me, not by the smartest man or woman in the world. Um, it's it's an enigma and an enduring one. And the next mystery I encountered was that of prime numbers, which are numbers that have, despite our, even if you think we created them, numbers and why are there numbers that such as prime numbers which have attributes that nobody gave them um that behave as if they're entirely independent of us um so it's a um there's so many fascinating wonderful thrilling sustaining exciting enigmas and as i say they all lead towards the idea is the, the question of is math created or discovered? If it's created, then it's necessarily imperfect um, because human beings are imperfect. If it's discovered, then it is has a perfection that human beings cannot contribute and a compatiousness um, that human beings cannot account for. There, there are, so far as I'm concerned, the, the arguments in favor of um, discovered are overwhelming, and most mathematicians are Platonists, meaning that they 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 believe that there is something mysterious about the origin of mathematics that cannot be accounted for. And um, a minority of mathematicians are are practical and and believe no, it's just a system that we've picked out and created and given these attributes to. Um, but I don't find that a persuasive. Um, uh, argument. And I mean, the thing that is so wonderful about this is that I, I wasn't able to do mathematics, really. I, on my second encounter with it, I kind of flunked again. But I might have got, I might have got a C plus sort of th- um, thing. Um, yeah, which is what's sort of charming about your book, about honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, def- you know, I, it, it, this is not a book that, um, there's some grand reconciliation and you become a mess. Yes, and my <laughs> triumph. You're reading about my Alec Wilkinson's yeah. triumph yeah. over mathematics. Uh-uh. No, it just, you know, I was made far more humble um, and and introduced to the, the idea of the approach, an approach to life that is based by, uh, upon always being, never being able to arrive at a position which is infallible. Hmm. Um because there's always more information. The book is a divine language, which feels appropriate to say after your description there. Let me go to caller Faye next. Hi, Faye. Thanks for calling. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, I have so many stories about math, how I learned to read in kindergarten. So by the time we went to first grade, everybody was still learning ABCs. I had done that, but math, 
horrified me, and it would keep me up at night every year before the first day of school because I wondered whether I could get through it. I never had a problem until algebra in middle school. And long story short, went back to school at age 34, loved algebra, one Mm -hmm. and two, was a whiz at it. And I just didn't understand what the difference was. And I was at that time very much into crossword puzzles and had been doing them for years. So I'm just wondering whether that tickled that part of the brain. Yeah. Um, the same part, yeah, where you do math and everything. And, you know, I stopped school and now I'm at age 63. And I'm curious about going forward learning more and going into calculus and geometry and and wanting to code because I'm finding a lot of these things online do not pertain to older people and to women. And I'd like to be a part of that field where, you know, uh, certain um, things are recognized. Well, good for you, Faye. I, I appreciate that. And I like your question about what is it maybe conceptually that helps us get things. For example, D rights. I took biochem twice in grad school because it was required. The first time it was taught entirely as a math class and I dropped before I failed miserably. The second time I got an A minus from a woman and future astronaut who taught biochem as a narrative of how our food becomes our feces. Once I got the story, I could follow the math. I went on to choose, like your guest, to retake algebra and loved it. We'll have more with my guest, Alec Wilkinson, a longtime New Yorker contributor who's written a book called The Divine Language, Learning Algebra, Geometry, and Calculus at the Edge of Old Age. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Alec Wilkinson about his effort to learn high school math later in life. And your listeners are also sharing your struggles with math or if you've tried to learn or relearn another subject later in life and what that experience was like for you. Maybe you're apprehensive about learning something new or something stopping you. You can tell us that too if you'd like. You can email forum at kqed.org. Post your thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Or call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Daphne writes, I was in fifth grade when I raised my hand in math class and said to the teacher, I don't understand what you said. The teacher looked at me and said to the entire class, Daphne, I just explained it. I was embarrassed and mortified. From that moment on, I did everything I could to avoid math. I took my last math class, sophomore year in high school. I would love to learn math without judgment, even now at my age. 
I applaud the guest. And Dan writes, I was a good math student up until calculus. I did well on quizzes and tests. I was able to do my homework. Later, I became a teacher and took a number of college-level introductory math courses. And I realized that all of my past math success was based on my ability to remember formulas and form operations. It wasn't until I learned how to teach math that I really got into the beauty of how numbers work and how they define the universe in which we live. As a middle school math teacher, my goal is to ensure that all of my students feel as though they can be successful as mathematicians, even though that success often takes extended periods of time. Let me go to TJ in Santa Cruz. Hi, TJ. Good morning. My perspective is is a little different in that the subject, I'm a re-entry jazz trumpet player at age 56. (laughs) And unlike math, which is sort of compulsory, certainly playing the trumpet or music was not. And um, so w- while I, I wish that I had not taken off, you know, the 20 years that I did in between the last time I touched my horn until six or seven years ago, it's given me a much deeper pre- appreciation, but also so much more challenging. And, and I also um, believe that having a little bit of natural ability at something can be kind of uh, a, a blessing and a curse, because if you don't work hard enough, there's always going to be somebody better. The difference, of course, is that at age 16, if you can't do something, you feel shame and you beat yourself up as if we should all just be able to play the trumpet or, you know, hit a baseball or whatever extracurricular activity it is that we choose. Well, TJ, thanks for sharing. Alec, do you have any thoughts on what TJ's saying? I think, are you a musician as well? Well, I've had exactly TJ's experience. Um, I put my guitar away for 30 years. But um, when I finally took it out again, um, it's exactly as you say, TJ, you, you discover that there's a, a, a athletic component to being a musician. Um, one needs a certain kind of um, status of musculature, um, which is hard to recover. But, um, but I had much better ideas. I couldn't necessarily execute them because I no longer had the technique, but I... I heard more things in my head. And um, so I think, you know, there is no doubt that, um, and what I didn't understand when I was young, I'm not sure if it's commonly understood, but there is a great richness in getting older, especially getting past the age of about 60, or maybe it's 50. I'm not, I don't know. It's different for different people, I suppose. But one begins to, um, reap the benefit of a, of a long engagement with the things one has been engaged with. Um, and um, with good fortune, this matures into wisdom. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's not fun to lose many of the physical capacities that one does um, in getting older, but it's a great reward to broaden oneself and to become mm. deeper. Well, let me go to Mark in Oakland. Hi, Mark. Uh, good morning to you, and thank you so much for the subject. Um, I'm going to. My subject is a little bit different. And uh, when I attended the City University of New York many years ago, foreign language was a requirement. I gave up on three different languages, but the acme, or perhaps nadir, of my experience was when the at the end of the semester, the instructor called me up and and he said, "Senor, I'm going to give you a charity D." if you promise never to set foot in the Spanish language department again. I oh, my God. Gladly took, I gladly took the D and humbly never did. 
35 years later, I began volunteering at a place called Camp Ronald McDonald for Good Times. They provide cost-free camp experience for kids who are going through cancer. And through that experience, I encountered a group called Padres Contra el Cancer, Parents Against Cancer. And they brought families where the kids were sometimes bilingual, but the parents almost always had Spanish as their only or primary language. And I wanted to be able to communicate. With the help of my maestra, my uh, esposa, my novia, my wife, who speaks Spanish so well, I learned at 52 and 53 and 54 how to speak Spanish. I'm 75. I just came back from camp. I can do my entire magic show. It's not a good show, but I can do it entirely in <laughs> Espanol. And at camp, they call me pun, so I don't speak Espanol. I speak, yo hablo Espanol. But it was the difference, and I'm sure you both realize it and your audience realizes it, the difference is motivation. Well, it's and what a lovely I, motivation, Mark, for you. That's such a, that's such a great story. It, all of these comments are making me think about, too, Alec, you wanted to find out why it was so hard for you back then? Like, did you reach a conclusion, get an answer to that through this process of why it had been so hard? Not just well, why I, you didn't. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't mean to. No, interrupt. go right ahead. Um, part of the story is math is hard. Um, there's a there's a very prominent mathematician writer named Jordan Ellenberg um, at the university. I think he's at um, University of Wisconsin, Michigan University. I'm not sure, but he's he's written several best-selling books about mathematics and. Um, he was a um, friend and classmate of Amy's, my nieces. And um, after my book came out, he sent me a um, piece he had written about how algebra actually is hard. Um, it does require um, from us an attention, I think. I, well, I think, and, and also one of the problems is um, nobody really explains to us at least they didn't in my childhood, perhaps it's different now, um, that algebra is arithmetic, but there's, it's doing arithmetic with an unknown, which is X. Um, uh, and that's, if you don't grasp that concept, which I didn't, um, it, the door is going to shut for you fairly quickly yeah. um, in algebra. and. I'm not sure, it's a very difficult subject to teach. It's a very complex subject. Um, and I think that it's a little bit um, uh, geared towards the, or, or delivered with the, or performed, taught with the idea that there's going to be some collateral damage. Some kids are not gonna get it. And they, it just seems the, culture will accept letting them fall behind but i um yeah some of them are falling by there there are there are multiplicity of reasons for why a child falls behind but um among among them is um the one that they were not necessarily taught well and um yeah. so i i hate to blame my teachers but i'm not sure i was taught 
wonderfully. <laughs> well, this is our Amy writes, I grew up in Los Gatos and all those decades, all those decades ago, science was simply taught from textbooks. I thought I didn't like science. In eighth grade, I was lucky to have an ecology class. It changed my life. I'm a total science geek now. Wish I had more hands-on classes throughout my early education. Let me go to Stacy next. Hi, Stacy. Join us. Hi, can you hear me? Yep, go right ahead. Um, yeah, I'm in San Francisco, and uh, it just struck me when I was listening to you. I know when I was a kid, I actually was really good in math, so this is a little bit of twist to it, but I couldn't write. I could read really young, but I couldn't sound out words that I wasn't familiar with. I couldn't spell for the life of me, and it was before the whole dyslexia things came out, and, and I just struggled, and mm. I remember thinking, oh, man, the smart, the, the dumb kids did math, and the smart kids were more language-oriented. And it was really, really, really hard for me. And I felt really bad. And I tried so hard and I was tested for gifted and it was all language based. And I bombed. And when I got to college, because I never finished high school, I dropped out. When I got to college, I decided I need to be an English major because I knew for my life it was going to be critical that I had to learn to write. And so I struggled. And I remember how hard I struggled, but I wanted it so bad. I was hungry to learn to write. And it was the same thing with Spanish. I was hungry to learn a language. And it was so hard for me. Like, I just, like, I had no memory for it. I had a memory for numbers. Mm. But when we come to language, it just, like, it just disappeared. And I didn't know why it was so hard for me. Same with spelling. Like, I could, I could not see the word. And I would spell things sort of phonetically, sort of, but I just couldn't get it. And I can just um, relate to that thing of that hunger for that piece because it, it broadens your reality, your life. And mm. having that thing that blocked me, if I didn't go towards it, I always knew that would be this limit in my life. And so I needed to overcome and not, you know, at least master to some degree that which was so hard for me. That's yeah. It. Well, it sounds, it's so great. It sounds like you have gone toward it. Um, Alex, Stacy mentions dyslexia. Another listener, Peg, writes, can you please ask your get, guest about dyscalculia? Dyscalculia? Am I saying that correctly? Dys dyscalculia, yeah. Um, yeah. But um, uh, Stacy, I mean, if I just replied to Stacy too, that, that that's exactly what, what you're describing is exactly what the, um, and maybe that's what you meant, the impulse that led me to take this on um, in the first place. But um, dyscalculia is, is the mathematical equivalence of, of dyslexia. It's, it's an inability to work with numbers. Um, people with dyscalculia um, have trouble reading clock faces. They have difficulty estimating um, distance, um, how far away something is in, um, in, in, uh, from them, um, that sort of thing. So it's, and it's, it's, I don't think it's as common as dyslexia, but I have actually known um, someone uh, who had it and, and finally had to give up her job because uh, she was a, 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 an artist and an art director, which has been taken over now by working with computers and coding and mathematics. And she just simply couldn't do it. Yeah. Well, Joanne, and I think this is earlier your point about Platonism. Joanne writes, I'm a mathematician by training, doctorate in abstract algebra, but switched to computer programming long ago. I can't answer the question whether mathematical objects are created or discovered, but when I was actively engaged in research, I strongly felt they were discovered. 
You are listening to Forum. We're talking with Alec Wilkinson about his book, A Divine Language, Learning Algebra, Geometry, and Calculus at the End of Old at the edge of old age, I mean a Kim. So are you done with math? Are you afraid that you'll forget what you've learned? You've gone through this two-year process. Um, <laughs> where are you at with it now? How do you use it in your life? Um, well, I'm, I'm done with algebra, geometry, and calculus. Um, uh, the, but its influence on my thinking is what mattered. It's the way that it broadened me, the way that it made me alert to a deep complexity and possible pattern of life. Um, uh, uh, you know, it, it changed me in ways that I didn't expect. And um, they, were, they were a matter of, of deepening rather than simply altering a point of view or something like that. I felt enlarged by even my tourists' acquaintance with um, the, the territory and landscape of mathematics. Um, you know, it, 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 as for the creator discovered, you know, it's very common among artists and mathematicians are artists, um, creative people to feel that what it is um, you have created has been given to you somehow, whether from your unconscious or, you know, it, it, the oldest history no, we know about. There was always a, a plea made to amuse and, a, and a, an attempt to visit a territory that is not normally accessible. And, and I remember reading somewhere, somebody asking Keith Richards, how do you write your songs? And he's written so many beautiful songs. Wild Horses is the first one that comes to my mind. And he said, it's just a matter of being awake. You know, they come to you there. And um, I think that that's, that's a profound feeling among mathematicians that there's, of course, there's an incredible amount of effort and endeavor as with all art to finally arrive at the moment when there's a, an epiphany or a, or a breakthrough. But um, I think it's quite common among, at least in my experience, among writers and painters and musicians and mathematicians to feel that there is a mystery and, a, and a, to the actual apparition of, um, of, of creativity. The last part of your book is about calculus, the course you actually never took in high school. Um, yeah. And you say that you had as much difficulty with calculus as you had with algebra and geometry. Geometry went a little better for you, but... Um, but you had a lot of difficulty with calculus, but you thought you were cool while doing it. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it's cool. Calculus is the moment as, so far as I understand it's sort of, and, and felt it to be the moment you arrive at as a student where suddenly things are now useful to you. You can make use of things that you've acquired along the road to calculus. Um, and, and calculus has a wonderful, um, what's the word symmetry to it. Um, and uh, it's a, it's a narrative telling um, uh, uh, it's a, it, what um, set of tools. Um, uh, it, it, it's the first time you feel like, Oh, I'm doing consequential things in mathematics. Whereas of course, with um, algebra and geometry, you feel like you're simply crossing territory that has got so many footprints in it 
that um, you just, you know, you can't see a path almost, um, or you just, you're following someone else's tracks, but you know, um, uh, oh God, I can't believe, I can't remember who, who said it. I think it was Einstein said that calculus was the greatest advance in human thought that any individual was ever privileged to make. Um, it's a, it's a wonderful life defining um, science or, or science isn't the right word. My apologies to mathematicians who might be listening going, Oh my God, this guy's an idiot. But, um, <laughs> but well, uh, I love your description of calculus as a means of describing instantaneous change and bringing precision yeah. to nonlinear forms yeah. yeah, you know, I too very much am a conceptual person who works best in narratives. And so to read those things, yeah. I think encapsulates yeah. a certain beauty. Calculus is beauty, I guess, in a way that that I yeah. hadn't really conceived of before. Calculus has a power and authority that algebra and geometry don't, um, to, just so far as I'm acquainted with them. Um, I know that Jordan Ellenberg has written a very... Um, much admired book about geometry in which he, he um, deals with the poetic aspects of it. So I don't want to um, imply not, but for, but for uh, um, the neophyte, um, the rookie math guy in later in life, calculus anyway, was the thing that made me for a moment when I felt I had some grasp of it, feel like I had power in my hands. <laughs> Well, Alec Wilkinson, thank you for sharing that. Thanks for sharing your journey, relearning well, high school math. <laughs> thank you for having me. I Alec wanted to say, I sure plan to listen tomorrow. I, I don't know if Judith Butler has a MacArthur, but I, boy, if I could give them out, I would give her one. Oh, well, that is a great, great promo for tomorrow's show. Well, this has been a great show. A Divine Language is Alec Wilkinson's book. Thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.